Good morning, ladies, and welcome. We are giving a new name to our series. Instead of Parsha with Purpose, we're calling ourselves Torah with a Takeaway. So good morning and welcome to Torah with a Takeaway. And this is Parsha Vayera. And there's very many important things in this week's Parsha. And we've dealt, we've taken them up in past years. So I'm going into something else that I feel is essential for us in our situation. We've talked about, this is the Parsha of the Akeda, the famous Parsha, the last of the tests of Avram. Um, we talk about Sodom being destroyed and Avram davening for Sodom. Um, there's also him doing this great myth of having guests. And there's also, um, uh, yeah, and those are the, and, and also the question of Sarah being told she's going to have a child. So those are just some of the highlights. There's a lot more going on, of course. And But those are the highlights, just what we're not going to be covering today. We are going to talk about Avram davening for Sodom, because I feel that's a very important topic that we don't cover so often. And also, I'm going to go into tefillah in general, because we all need a chizik now. That the, a lot of people are not going to shul, and the uh, situation is very different. Now, let's ask our four questions, and then we'll come by with some great answers and hopefully life-changing lessons. Question number one. We're told, we've mentioned this before, but it's a beautiful thought and it's important to remember. When Avraham is getting a prophecy from Hashem, he's told, he sees three supposedly looking idolaters, lowlifes, passing, coming by from the distance. He asks Hashem to, so to speak, wait for him. And then he, uh, he takes them in as guests. And um, how could he stop in the middle of his, you know, discussion, his, his dialogue with Hashem? He's just interrupting that to have guests. So Rashi tells us, we learn from Avram, which means it's greater to have guests than it is to have a prophecy. That's how great it is. Now, um, but how did Avram know that? So we've mentioned this in the past, and I'm just using this as an introduction to a lot of the things we're going to be speaking about, and that is, Avram knew that the way to grow is to imitate his creator, to be more selfless, more godlike. And what could be more selfless than doing acts of chesed? And Avram understood that even a prophecy is to some degree self-centered. When a person gets a prophecy, they're you know, reveling in the divine presence that they're communicating with at that moment. And when they have, um, when they're doing something for other people, they're still growing. That's making them grow. Every inch of being more and more selfless makes you better. So he figured, look, one is like a reward. The other one is like, um, the other one is like growing, helping me grow. So I will choose the side of having the guests, even if I have to leave the middle of a conversation of a prophecy with Hashem, which is quite unbelievable. Rav Steinman, he should rest in peace, Varnley Steinman tells us that there is a similar thing in this week's Parsha. It's in Perak Yudches, which is chapter 18, verse um, 22 and 23. Okay, so um, it says, when, when, the, uh, when Avraham was davening to Hashem about Sodom, he has a prophecy, Hashem says, He's having this whole discussion with him about Sodom. We're going to be talking about that today. And when he's having this discussion about Hashem should sustain those people and they should not be destroyed, at the end it says, 
Avram was still standing in front of Hashem, so to speak, receiving a prophecy. And the next verse says, Vayigash Avram Vayomer. Avram came to Hashem, he approached Hashem and said, Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? So what is the reason why these two verses are connected? So says Ruf Steinman, the reason those two verses are connected is to teach us that we learn from this, not only is it better to have guests than to have a prophecy. Here we're seeing Avram abandoned prophecy for prayer. That's really outstanding. That's what Rav Steinman tells us, that Avram abandoned prophecy for prayer, that prayer is greater than prophecy. And it's, it's more important than prophecy. So we could say it's a similar idea. You're gaining all kinds of great qualities that you gain also when you perform acts of kindness. So that's also a growing versus receiving. But halakhically, interestingly enough, if the person is davening, they're communicating with Hashem. He, you're not allowed to, you know, you're not allowed to. If you're talking to Hashem, you're not allowed to do some other act of chesed. You're not allowed to have a guest. You know, if you're talking to Hashem, says Rav Nevin Saul, even a Jewish king would approach you. You're not allowed to respond to a Jewish king. You may respond sometimes to non-Jewish king if your life is in danger thereby. Or um, it says, let's say a person has to go to shul and a guest has just arrived at his home. If he feels it won't be insulting, then he most definitely has to go to shul rather than have his guest. Now, they say there's an argument, says Rav Nevin Saul, if the guest will be offended you may be able to, um, you know, there may be an argument about that, whether you're allowed to leave the guest to go to shul. But we do favor communicating with Hashem over guests. So how does that jive with the halakha that, uh, that, that Avraham was talking to Hashem? Okay, there was a prayer involvement there. It wasn't just um, a prophecy. There's prayer in both, in both dialogues, whether it was about the guests or whether here with Sodom, he was talking to Hashem, but then halakhically it doesn't jive the same way. That's question number one. Question number two, we're told that we learned from Avram a few things. It says in um, in Brachas Vav, we're told, um, it, it, well, for, no, before you get to Brachas Vav, it, it, in this week's Parsha, it says, right after Avram prays for the people of Sodom, the verse following tells us, the next morning after he had his discussion with Hashem, Hashem says, no, I'm not going to spare Sodom. He says he goes, He went to the same place that he had prayed the day previous to pray, even though now, before he prayed to beseech Hashem to save the people of Sodom, even though they were wicked people. And this time he was about to, he was destroying Sodom at that moment beginning to destroy Sodom, Avram went to the same place that he had previously gone to. And we're told by the Gemara in Brachas Vav, it says, um, well, we're told that Avram is the first person that um, created prayer for us. He created chakras, right? We say it's in the merit of Avram. But it also says, Amar of Chelbo, Amar of Huna. Kola koveya makom so whoever sets aside a place for his prayers, Elokei Avraham Ezra, the God of Abraham will help him. Because since Avraham Badafka stayed in the same place, even after he was refused his prayer, he went to the same place. We learned from that you should have an established prayer place. Be it in shul, try to have the same seat, 
be it at home. There should be a place uniquely for your prayer, that you're going to pray always in the same place. And Bakisha Mason, if this person works very hard on establishing a set place to pray all the time, when he passes away from this world, they tell him, Amri Allah, he is now, he is, he's achieved humility, he's achieved chasidus, uh, piety. You're the student of Avram Avinu if you set aside a place for your prayer. That's a difficult question. What do you mean you become a chassid or an av just because you set aside a certain location in your home for prayer all the time? That makes you an av of a chassid, you know? And there are certain places, by the way, that are established for prayer. Like Rav Neventhal says, he doesn't talk about all the kvarim. Kvarim is something. But the biggest one that people tend to forget is the kosel. You know, the kosel is a very big place. It's a place where we all stood to daven. You know, there's a, I told you there was a whole argument um the, uh, in 1837, there was a huge, huge earthquake that a lot of people died from in the northern region of Israel. And they say that was because people were making a bigger deal out of the caver of Shimon Bar Yochai than they were about Yerushalayim. I think the Hassan Cypher says that, if I'm not mistaken, because it just came to me now. I wanted to add that in. We have to have a certain place, you know, the places that are established for prayer. And um, in any case, and it's better to daven with a minion if you can. This whole thing with women's minyanim, uh, you don't get any special credit having 10 women. So, uh, you know, 10 men and you daven there, there's your prayers are more readily heard than alone. But now we, a lot of us don't have a choice. In any case, why is it that setting aside a place for your prayer is so important? Question number three. We're told when Avram approaches Hashem and he says, Hashem, I, I, I don't know how I can... Um, I, I don't know how I can speak to you. Um, you know, when he, he approached Hashem to fight, so to speak, for the people of Sodom. And he said, Rashi tells us there are three things that Avram prepared himself. I don't know if that was for me. There's something I was supposed to, the chat just went by and I was looking in the paper. I hope it's nothing I have to know. If it is, just send it to me again. Any case, um, so the the thing is like this. When, when he said that there were... Um, there was, as Rashi says, there are three ways of prayer, and Avram employed all three tactics. One is tefillah, to be a prayer, like it means to make requests, bakashos. Pius, which means to appease Hashem. Like his request was to spare sodomites because he couldn't bear to see people not being given a chance. The second thing is Avram had pius, which means he kept saying, how can I speak to Hashem? I'm just a small person. I offer ve'efer, I'm small. And the third thing is milchama. A person should even be willing to employ in his prayers a war, to wage a war. Uh, what does that mean for us? Let's let's take the takeaway from that for us. Okay. Now, in the fourth question, which we have to speak about, is how could Avram daven for the people of Sodom? We find Avram really exemplified everything that Sodom did not exemplify. In Sodom, if a person was too long for the bed, they would cut off his limbs. If a person was too short for the bed, they'd stretch his limbs um, if he was a guest. They didn't, they didn't appreciate guests. This one girl once did, I think it was the daughter of Lot, she once did things for the people of Sodom. Okay. Any case, the, you know, if, if anyone ever goes to Sodom, they... Um, you know, they, 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 this girl had done acts of kindness 
to people and what happened. Uh, they punished her. They felt, you know, we don't want people doing acts of kindness. They had her attacked in a horrible manner by loads of bees, and she died a horrible death for having act, done acts of kindness in Sodom. And yet Avram gives each one of his guests a tongue, a whole tongue for each person with mustard and the whole thing. And he says, I'll get a little bit of bread. But meanwhile, he gave them a whole feast. And Avram bows down to them and offers them everything. Though His tent is open from four corners to have guests. Anybody passing by can always come to his, his uh, tent. How is that? that he, why would he want to daven for these people? So those are our four questions. And now we're going to come up with some amazing answers and amazing ideas. First of all, let's bring down Rav Bach, Sechran al-Brach, the Rashiva in Detroit. You should rest in peace in his Sefer, Kol Aryeh. He says, why do we have to hear about the evil of Sodom? You know, the Torah does not waste words. There's plenty of evils it can tell us. And we can see with our own eyes plenty of evil today. The Torah just tells us what we have to know. Why do we have to hear all these Midrashim, how horrible they were? And then Mita Sodom is pretty bad. Like, you know, they deserve destruction. Some people say today we're witnessing combination of Sodom and the Mabel and the flood, you know, in our daily lives. But Rabak says, you know, there's a Mishnah Navos that says... I think it's in Perak Dalid. Whoever says, Shali Shalach, 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 whoever says, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours, some people say that's average, you know, because that's the way of the world. I keep my stuff, you keep your stuff. The Yesha Omrim, but some people say, Zubida Sodom. How is that? Shrabax explains, it's not so far fetched. He said the whole idea, the reason why they discourage guests, etc., they were trying to train generations to be self-sufficient. They wanted people to be, you know, they wanted people to be, um, you know, that people should not rely on anybody else, that you should be able to make it on your own, not take from anybody. Don't be a parasite. Just see when the hairs are off. Am I looking at myself, which is awful? But in any case, <laughs> the Rabbeinu Yonah says, they were destroyed because they didn't do tzedakah for other people. Like it says in Yechezkel, Yechezkel says, this is the sin of Sodom, that they didn't help the poor. So now, so this is their theory, that we should not, you know, we should not institute organizations to help the poor. Everybody should be self-sufficient. That's how you should act. Think about it. That's very reminiscent of other countries. There's some countries, says Rav Fox, now I don't think it applies so much today, but he says some countries refuse immigration just because they don't want to stretch the resources any further to other people. You know, if it's a question of safety, that's what I think we're dealing with today. But sometimes if you don't want to share your resources with another person, you know, so that's um, – that's, you know, that's, that's the Avon of Sodom, but it all begins with the person saying, listen, I don't want to take from you. You don't want to take from me. You know, um, by the way, the Maharal says a brilliant explanation on this mission. Brilliant. I'll, I'm going to share it with you now. When he says, what's mine is mine and what yours is yours. I'm just going to give it to you this little part that fits in, not the rest of the Mishnah, which is how he fits in the whole thing is unbelievable. But he says, why is Shali Shali? Why am I saying I don't want to take anything from you? Because shalach, shalach, I don't want you to take anything from me. 
That's ultimately your subconscious understanding of why you don't want to ever come on to another person because then you're going to be indebted. (laughs) I don't want that. So really, it sounds like an average thing. Most average people want to feel, you know, I don't want to take from you and, you know, and and you, you know, and, and, uh, you know, but I'm not going to give so much, so much. It's like kind of average. What's mine is mine. On the surface, it sounds like what's mine is mine is what yours and what's yours is yours. What's mine is mine is, you know, I'll keep it to myself and you take yours. And that's, that's, they said to encourage self-sufficiency, but it's really, if we don't engage on a daily basis in some act of chesed, and this applies to everybody, no matter what our stage in life is, no matter how incapacitated we are, if we don't engage in that, then we tend to become very self-centered and selfish. It's something as, it's not a part of a person's nature necessarily and everyone can use an improvement on it it's got to be developed and that's by giving and that's what they so you know the idea of being self-sufficient and so what was so bad about the dome that because they didn't give tzedakah oh by the way one more thing i want to say about this in the time of the uh Chaim brisker i believe uh no the Chaim, time there was a that people decided in his town for a short while they wanted to have a vod hatzdakas they were going to have that people, all the mishulachim, all the people collectors would go to some central office and get their checks pre-made. The community would give their donations once a year. And, you know, there'd be less hassle. You would have people lining up to collect, knocking on doors, bothering people's supper and everything. The Chavetz Chaim immediately abolished such an idea because he says we all have to give. That's why also when a person gives, they shouldn't give the whole amount. They should let other people join in on the mitzvah because everything, even the yeshiva, has to be supported by everybody. It's not just the major donors. Everybody has to have a part in the yeshiva. Everybody has to part in chesed. We all need to do it because it helps us become more selfless, more godlike, and um, and less self-centered. The whole purpose of creation, olam chesed ibana. God created the world for chesed. So by us engaging in doing acts of kindness and not just taking and wanting people to be self-sufficient, and it's not our business whether they are or aren't, then by doing that, we are emulating and trying to be like our creator. Now, the, okay, so, so, the, so that is the whole thing as an aside, why it was such a horrible trait of Sodom, what they did, that, you know, that they were, they were it begins in small places, like we said, even in countries, you know, where they have to, uh, you know, have to engage in certain things like you're not thinking about the other person. You're thinking about your, your coffers or yourself. How many people in the world and how much selfish, let's say, taxes do they import on people? You know, I, I don't even want to go into it. It's just to some degree ridiculous. There's so many taxes, let's say, in different places. And it's a surcharge that's not even necessary. And people don't even know about it sometimes that they, they have in certain, you know, hidden, these hidden taxes and everything we buy. And it's all because of greed. You know, that some big companies decide to take advantage of the smaller person. And all of this is trying to think of yourself, and that's what can bring a person to be like Sodom. So it's not so far-fetched. Now, Revolba, the Chronel of Racha, brings down that the whole idea of davening for Sodom is how great Avram Avinu's chesed was. We have to learn, he said, to try to care even for the wicked. Now, that doesn't mean we should say we stay with them. We should, you know, be afraid to stay with them. In fact, that's what Rav Nassim Vachvogel says. He says that, what did Noah do wrong? He didn't pray for the, the people of the, of the flood. Why didn't he pray for them? Because 
he felt if I daven for them, maybe that uh, then I'm considered an accomplice. I'm like them, you know, like Hashem will consider me equally guilty. He didn't feel he had the potential of saving his generation, of thinking he's, he could be great, he could do it, that you could go above that. You don't have to just, you know, worry about your status and what Hashem is going to think of you praying for the wicked. He just, Avram was, was worried these people may never, you know, they, they're not using their life's mission. They're not fulfilling their life's mission. Find the story about Rav Simcha Zisulf and Kelm, which I saw brought down several, so it was obviously a famous story. They say about Rav Simcha Zisel, who was the prime disciple of Rav Yisrael Salanter. He was, you know, from the Musser movement. Rav, uh, Rav Simcha Zisel from Kelm, um, they said on Shabbos, his, his face had an unearthly glow. He was glowing. His, he was on such a high level, Rav Simcha Zisel. They said during the week he didn't have that glow. But there was one Shabbos that he, his face was like weekday. And they didn't know. Somebody asked him, Rebbe, is everything okay? And he said, Peretz, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Shmolenskin has passed away. <laughs> now, Peretz Shmolenskin was the top uh, apostate of that generation, the biggest Moscow, a guy that was against the Torah, against Judaism. He tried to fight Torah Judaism every avenue that he could. Real, you know, person that spent his entire life, uh, you know, denying God's existence. And he said, I can't, how, how can I be happy? After Havdalah, he sighed and said this. this yeah, that's, I'm sorry. No one asked him. He, after Havdalah, he gave a sigh and he said, this parrot has passed away. And he says, imagine he's going to go to Ganeiden. He's going to go to heaven and they're going to, they're going to put him on trial and he's going to have to account for his life. And he's going to see that he lived his whole life for naught. His whole life was a life of falsehood. So in other words, he was very affected by one person committing a sin. We daven, yitamu chataim in aretz, chataim velo chotim. We don't daven that, that the evil people should, you know, be murdered and die. We, we daven, especially Jews, we want them to do tshuva. We want them to repent and improve themselves. Um, Adam, Adam, um, Avram Avinu felt this whole mission in life was to spread the idea of chesed. They were antagonists to everything he stood for. However, he felt, let them have chances, right? Maybe there's 10 tzaddikim, maybe, but there weren't 10 tzaddikim. So already then it qualifies as, as a flood. But he said, if there were, just save them, so let them all be able to repent and be able to improve their ways. So, in fact, we find a lot of places, Moshe Rabbeinu davened by the Chaita Egel, for, by the sin of the golden calf and by the sin of the spies. He davened Hashem, even wipe me out from your book if you don't save my sinning people. Because the idea behind that was that they felt that as long as these people, uh, you know, were alive, they still had chances to fix everything with plan A. And they didn't want to resort to plan B. And if Hashem then said no, we see then he gave up after that. We see in general that prayer, tefillah, is the purpose of creation. Some of these things are things you probably know, but I do feel I have to mention them. Because these are, we need a chizik now in tefillah. We don't have the regular shul situation. And we have a lot of worries and things on our minds because of the world situation. I hope everyone today davens for the election results, which will only be good for the Jewish people. But, but you know, Mitzvah Shem, that, uh, that the election should be, and, and that there should be no unrest, which is also what's going on now. We see in Bereshis, when it talks about the vegetation being created, 
it was it was interesting its its form that the vegetation stood subterraneously. It was created. It was already there. It, it didn't sprout. That's all. It just didn't sprout. And Rashi says, "Lo," and it says at the end of the pasuk, "Kilohim tira shemal okimal aretz va'adam ayin lavod es ha'adama." A god didn't yet make the rain come, and there was no man to work the ground. So Rashi explains what it means. There was no rain. Lefisha adam ein lavodes hadama ve'ein makir betovasam shel gishamim. There's no man to appreciate rain. Like you know, he's saying Hashem make the rain and then things will grow. That's what it, the whole world, like so to speak, stood like that, waiting for the moment of prayer. Ukishaba adam biyada shem sarech laolam. When man would come and know their nestor for the world, he's palel alehem. He'll pray for them. And all the trees and plants will grow by just by prayer. In other words, the world exists only in the merit of prayer. This is Rashi Bracious, um, chapter 2, verse 5, the Rashi there, for anyone that wants sources. So the whole purpose of the world is to pray. There's this amazing story I just love. I read it many years ago in Shabbos Stories from Shimon Finkelman. And he brings down, um, there was a Rav that lived in St. Louis. And boy, I forgot his name because I thought I would remember the story, but I didn't remember my brain. So let me just, whatever it was, this Rav in St. Louis that was a big genius that came from Poland and he moved to St. Louis. He became a big Rav there. And um, I have, in fact, one of his farm. I got from, I found it in, uh, they used to have it, the... uh, at the what is it the the Y the Jewish Y the Jewish Community Center they used to have a book sale once a year and I found one of his farm on just little general things but I bought it because I thought it would be amazing anyways this Rav he um, he was about to ret- he was about to retire and his congregation really loved him in fact he was such a genius by the way he got um, approbations to his farm from all kinds of people, you know, like he, he got it from um, Rabbi Ruderman wrote, a, wrote something for him, and some other people gave him approbations when he wrote for him. But in any case, he was about to retire. His congregation gave him a, quite a, a tidy sum to go through his retirement. They gave him $20,000 in those days. This was the 1940s, which is like 200000 today. Not bad to give somebody for retirement. In any case, what happened was... Um, as soon as he got this money, he felt it affected his prayer. In fact, whenever he, uh, Rabbi Ruderman, in fact, was, I mixed up the story now. <laughs> Rabbi Ruderman wanted an approbation from him. That's right. Rabbi Ruderman wanted an approbation from him for his farm because he was such a big gome. The name will come to me, I hope, by the end. But in any case, he, when he wrote the approbation, he sent him $50. $50 is a huge sum. Ruderman said, why would you give me so much money for my safer? I, it's not an average contribution. He said, I'll tell you something. Since I got this money, it's destroying my davening. My davening, I, I'm starting to think, should I invest it? RRSP, RESP, all the uh, savings plans, what to do with my money? He said, it's affecting my davening. It's muksa machmas mius. It's muksa because if it's disgust, money is destroying my davening. I want to give all my money away. I don't want to hoard my money or keep it because it's destroying my davening. Look at this, the, 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 the degree that he felt that tefillah was so important, he didn't want even money to destroy his concentration. Now, we find that um, 
Avramovino was who you know that he saw, he started chakras, but he also decided to have a set place for prayer. And even after Sodom was destroyed, he went to the same place for prayer. What is so important about having a set place in your home or in your shul? And it says, whoever does, God helps him, and he'll have all these things. So let's explore some of these ideas. This is, first of all, by the Sifte Chaim, or Chaim Friedlander's Chorin Lebracha. And he says like this, whenever you, whenever you establish a place of prayer, you know, this is going to be your place. Like whenever you establish, just like you have a place for something, a time for something, it shows the thing is important to you. Like, you know, some people even make it a date with their husband. They make an appointment or or with the kids, you know, like I am going to speak to my children every Tuesday at nine or I'm going to speak to them tonight. You know, just just delegating a time at our place for something shows that thing means something to you. And we often, we always write down, you know, when to get whatever it is that we really need, like big sale on something or the doctor you have to see or whatever it is. It's very important to us. Setting aside a place for something shows that thing is very meaningful for us. You know, now even going into this place already showing like you're entering into the relationship, like, oh, that's the place I dove in yesterday, especially if it's a place that you got something from. The Tzalach tells us, I want to get the exact place where he says it. Where is the Tzalach? Tzalach tells us in Brachas, in the Mishnah Brachas, he says that whenever you daven somewhere, it gives, you impart holiness to that place. And when you return, it already has a holiness, especially if there was a minion there, if there was a shul there. You probably heard the story, the famous story about the stipler gong, that there was a, there was once somewhere he could not, sleep. They gave, they gave him a, um, a room to sleep in near the shul on Yom Kippur, and he couldn't bring himself to sleep there. And they found out later that there was formerly an Arn Kodesh in that room. He just felt the Kedusha of that place. He couldn't bring himself to sleep there. So, but anytime we dive in somewhere, we're, we're, we're making a statement, it's important to us. And also that that place now is imparted with Kedusha. How can we go not go back to it when hopefully, you know, we'll continue from that. Rav Nevinsel says, just like we spoke last week about when you change your location, you change your mazel. When you stay in the same location, it's called a hemshech. It's called a continuous and continuation. You're continuing. Like I had a good experience last time. It was a great davening last night. I'm continuing in the same place, hoping to go from there, to grow from the seeds I planted in that area, the hopes, the memories. You know, places have a big thing. I remember, or, or objects, you can really impart a certain feeling and an object really has something. How many of us, let's say, if God forbid, we all had to have a situation where you had to um, go into your parents' home and, and dispose of their belongings, either dispose of them or give them away to the poor or whatever you're doing with those belongings you have to go in there. I remember smelling like the smell of my father on his clothes, even though after he passed away, everyone has like these kind of feelings. Like you can impart Kedusha to a place just like they can impart, you know, you feel like you're touching the thing that they had. I remember it took me, I remember one time I was making a child's lunch a year after my mother passed away and I suddenly burst into tears because I remembered when I was making lunch, my mother used to put a napkin in everybody's lunch bag. I don't know, we as Americans, I didn't do that. And I, I think there is a merit to it now that I'm older. <laughs> but I, as I, I was just once making lunch, and I just remember the kind of lunches my mother made me, and all of a sudden I burst into tears just touching, seeing a, a lunch bag. So a place can really have an imparting of Kedusha in it, you know. And that's when we do such a thing, we can really 
infuse something with Kedusha. The morale says, like, if the whole idea of prayer is to come close to Hashem, then the place is very important, like a yichud room. You know, you know what's going to happen in the yichud room. Or let's say a master bedroom. You know what's going to happen in the master bedroom. It, you, you walk in there, you know what's going to be, what kind of relationship there's going to be there. Especially you need a special place for this because this is the room you're going to connect to Hashem, like a carbon, to bring us close. We have tefillah instead. Now, the Marami Prague says, it's all brought to the Sipsek Chaim, except this one point I mentioned with Rav Nevensel, with changing locations. But he brings down now from the Maral, the Sipsek Chaim, and he says, just like usually a person is to be organized, you have to have a place for each thing. And the more important the, the more important the thing, the more important the place. If you have something that's very delicate, you know, <laughs> then you're putting in your bank vault, <laughs> if you have a bank vault. If you have something very important, you know, like let's say something very expensive, you're going to right away say, where do we put the thing? People move into a house. There's always, like any from person is always saying, where do we, the two things they say a from buyer wants when they buy a house is where's the sukkah and is there opportunity for a place kitchen, you know, if they build a house. But in any case, the um, the same thing, if something's very important to you, you want a place established for it, you know, because that place, you don't want your computer to fall. It's got to be on a solid surface, and it's got to be that you can always, you're always coming back to it. You're always working on it, so you need a place for this thing. Even more so, Hashem is called Hamakom, the place. He's Mekayma Shalaylam, you know. And and it says, interesting, Maral says a different twist on the mission, Perkeavos, Ein L'chadavar She'ein Makom. There's no thing that doesn't have a place. Now, it, usually it means, when it says that in Perkevos, it usually means that everything is a place, meaning every person has his time and place where he's going to shine or where he's going to do his mission in life, you know. But it also means everything does, has its place in the world. You have to find its place in the house. This is a, this is a, um, this is a pump up for being organized, <laughs> you know, everything in the world is supposed to have a place and everything in time is supposed to have its place. You have to have a time for everything where you can, you can find time for everybody and everything that's important to you and make time for things that are important. So making a time and making a place is the commitment that we should be having to davening. When we talk about Hashem, says the Sifzecham, and he's bringing, explaining this maral, he says, really, when Hashem is the place of the world, he's called Hamakom, the place. That's one of the names of Hashem called Hamakom, the place, because he's everywhere. We believe God is not just restricted to heaven. God is everywhere in the whole world. The thing is, if everything is Hashem, um, setting aside a place is an external gesture showing what Tefillah says, to realize that Hashem is my whole world. So making it an important place, a place where I won't be distracted, a place that will inspire me, a place that I'm going to make a, you know, uh, make it into something. Tefillah, the whole idea, Rav Hirsch and the Malbim both say, it says, Vayamot Pinchas Vayifalel. And Pinchas stood up and judged. Talk about Pinchas, you know, which is Elio Navi later. I'm sorry, this is Pinchas in color, sorry, that he, he judged. Judgment, Plilus means judgment. Lehispalel means to judge yourself. How much, what do you, it, it, the, the, the point of Tefillah is for a person to judge what is his relationship with Hashem. How much Hashem means to him? What's his relationship with Hashem? How much of his world is Hashem? And um, that's really something because, you know, you can really see in davening where you're at, where your mind goes. 
And that you see how much, you know, the difference between a regular person and a tzaddik is the tzaddik realizes Hashem is the main focal point for tefillah. And by us making a place, at least, we're beginning the process of trying to make Hashem more of a focal point in our world. It's showing our relationship. Rav Nevin Salshlita says, how can we bother Hashem for little things? You know, like asking him for all these different things. What we're really doing is we're, first of all, enlarging our recognition of him by saying you are the source of everything. You know, we're doing that. We're also giving him the opportunity. Hashem made it like the switch. that We turn on his abundant blessings. Hashem wants that to be the switch. By us to gain recognition, we therefore bring blessings. So we have a, we are allowed, we're supposed to, we're, we're, we're encouraged to ask Hashem for specific things because thereby we become closer to him. Now all we have to do is like fill out the papers and he's ready to give it, but he wants us to engage in prayer because thereby he's the inter- we are the intermediary for brachas. We're helping Hashem in his mission of imparting greatness to the world by, by us just merely recognizing him. We're told in the Zohar, we mentioned this before in a different context last week, who's considered pious, a person who does kindness with his creator. So we said last week in one context, or Shemshin Pincus brings down that it's our choice. That's the only thing we have unique is a person has free will. And the free will that we do to choose to pray, to, to, to see that, you know, that, but we're also, he says here in prayer, we're using our free will to say that everything is really from his free will. That's really what we're doing. That really anytime we praise Hashem for anything, we're, we're strengthening our muscles of seeing that he is the center of our universe. Even by requesting things from him, we're realizing that all is from him. So that's what gives us the audacity, so to speak, to ask Hashem even for personal needs. It would be good to try to think once a day, I am trying to ask this in order to develop a better relationship with my creator. You know, to realize that. That's really the ultimate. We're not there yet, but that's really the ultimate. It's to realize I'm doing this because thereby I'm going to have a higher relationship with my creator. Like I mentioned in passing last week, Rav Reisman Shlita from Torvadas says, when he eats on Shabbos, he says, I am eating in order to hopefully eat L'Shem Shemayim. Not that I am L'Shem Shemayim, but I'm hopefully trying to eat L'Shem Shemayim. So we are hopefully trying when we daven. It's a good thing to like say maybe once a day that I'm hopefully trying to make a relationship with my creator right now. Nevinsel brings down brachas in the Mishnah on brachas. Dalad, uh, Mishnah Dalad, we're told, Ha'osat filaso keva, whoever makes his prayers. Now, even though you're supposed to have a, uh, makom kavua, you're supposed to have a set place for prayers, you are not supposed to be rote in your praying. Your prayers should always be different. That's why the time of day is always different. The day has been different. The backdrop is always different. Why? To make sure that our prayers should be fresh. There's no, no minute that resembles another, and our prayers should never resemble the other. But it says, Ha'oset tefillah so keva, whoever makes his tefillah like rote, ain't tefillah so tachanunim. His tefillah is not tachanunim, it's not pleading, it's not begging, it's not something that you're beseeching Hashem. What does that mean? Nevensel says, uh, he saw perush, that it could mean, tachanunim means, uh, when is your tefillah so keva? If a person, he says, doesn't try to get up as early as possible to daven. Now, this is more for a man, but even for a woman, or give it the first thing of your day. You don't try to give your, or if you don't try to give your creator pleasure, nachas ruach, I'm not doing this to please my creator. 
You don't want your Corbin to be like Hevel's. You want to be like Kayan, who just wanted to be Yotze. He just wanted to fulfill his obligation for, for giving his sacrifice. We're not supposed to have that attitude with prayer, that we just want to do it because you have to do it. We want to do it because we want to please our creator and bring more abundance to the world and serve him better. So it says, your tefillah is not tachanunim. What does tachanunim mean? Tiferes Yisrael explains in the Mishnah, ein ruach chen ba. You don't have the spirit of chen, of, of grace with Hashem. Even though you fulfilled your obligation, you don't, God doesn't, you don't find chen. You don't find favor in the eyes of your creator when you're just doing it to fulfill your obligation. So, is something we have to think about, even though, you know, we, you get stuck in the mold. That's why we need to hear this every once in a while, uh, particularly when we are not allowed to daven in the normal manner at present. So we should remember that the great power of prayer, the whole world depends on it. And setting aside a place is just the beginning of showing that tefillah should be the center point of our world because it was the center point of creation. That's why we were created. Rosh Hashem Pink, as the Quran Levracha tells us, what is the idea of kavius? When you say you set aside an established place, the set place for praying, like you're going to pray the same place every day, it's, it means that no matter what, don't say, I don't feel like something now. The same thing with like a man. If he has a kavius, a, a regular established, like I, he learns from 8 to 10 every night, or whatever time a person learns, that's like with the kavius means you are going to do, you have, a, you have a goal, either it's a goal of time or a goal of amounts. They say about Rav Chaim uh, Kanievsky Shlita, that, that he has a certain thing he calls his chayvas. He has his debts that he has to pay. What are his debts? He has a certain amount of Mishnah and Gemara and everything that he has to learn every single day. And he can't go to sleep till he does it. One time, in fact, when his daughter became engaged, he told the machutin, he told the person, the father of the, 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 the chassan, he says, uh, right now I have my chayvas, I have my debts. And the guy got all nervous that Rav Chaim was in debt, that he, well, he's about to marry off his daughter. And then they explained to him, no, this is his obligations and learning that he has to do every single day. Rav Chaim Stein, the Colonel of Rashiva of Cleveland, tells, was telling his students that you have to find, no matter what, you're going to learn an hour a day, no matter what your situation is in life, because that's showing it's important to you. No matter what you feel like, and that's the thing, the life gets us with feelings. This happened, that happens, good, bad, ugly, wonderful, ridiculous, everything, no matter what, you know, that that's going to be important to us. That's what it means when a person's asked after 120 years, Kavata Itim Latora, did you set aside times for learning? Every man is obligated to have times every day that he learns. And that's because it's got to be a central point in your life. You only, you only establish things on a daily basis that are urgent. You know, like brushing your teeth or uh, whatever it is, going to the bathroom. You're not going to stop doing that, you know, so because otherwise, God forbid, you know, same thing. If something's urgent to us, we'll make it a part of our day. You know, that that's something that, you know, no matter what, your kavata itim latari, you make it something that's very urgent, no matter what, and you'll still be doing it. Now, when a person considers tefillah very important, tefillah is also called avoda shibalev. These are all things you probably all know. I'm just reminding myself, and you're just here to listen in. Tefillah is a service of the heart. That's the main purpose. The Cholavavcha, with all your heart. And that's tefillah. Like, we're supposed to have our heart there, not our mind being in San Francisco. We're supposed to turn, Nefesh HaChaim tells us, a person's supposed to turn his mind from all intrusive thoughts, and his heart should only be filled with the words he's saying. That's very, very, this is what we have to do. 
and, and a person should not feel for any pleasures in this world. The whole nafshacha, the sifzechaim brings down whole, your whole, you're supposed to be willing to give your whole uh, life up for Hashem. If a person can reach this level of really trying to give everything up because Hashem gave us everything, we're just giving it back. Um, so it's what I owe him, not when it suits me. I'm just doing it even to that degree. I, it's not just what I feel like right now, but I really have an obligation that I have to pay back. I owe him everything. I owe him all my allegiance. Now, there are three kinds of tefillah we spoke about in the beginning that Rashi brings down that Avram employed. One is the uh, pius, which means appeasement. Avram told Hashem, even if there are 50 tzaddikim, 50 righteous people, will you save Sodom? Uh, and then he kept boiling it down like that's, you know, like an appeasement, so to speak. Now, what does appeasement mean for us? Rev Dessler explains appeasement means person should try a, a tefillah often can be by doing tshuva, you deserve certain things. Hashem, I'm sorry for what I did. And now when you do tshuva, it becomes like a merit that you regretted what you did. And you regret it so much, you feel like, wow, Hashem is so kind to me, even though I've done such terrible things. If you have tshuva from love, then everything you did previous becomes like a mitzvah. It's like a, you're all now bringing down all kinds of great benefits from your appeasing Hashem with saying, I'm, I'm, I'm different now. I want to appreciate things differently. Second kind is called tefillah. Rav Dessler explains that's like making requests. Like he couldn't stand to see the people of Sodom suffering. So therefore he had to pray for them. And the third thing was, he spoke harshly. He said, how can you kill a tzaddik with a, uh, with a rasha? That is called milchama, Rashi brings down. It's like having a war. What, what, how, how can a person have a war? So first of all, Rav Dessler says, us average folk, according to Rav Dessler, average person should not have a war because our war is not going to be for the sake of heaven. Our war is going to be for ourselves. We're going to say, God, how can you do this to me? You can't do this to me. I heard a beautiful story this week and last week in the Zerah Shimshon. Um, they brought down a story that um, there was a man that was a, a lawyer in the States and he made Aliyah to Israel. And he was having all kinds of business problems to the degree that his former partner was suing him for a huge amount of money. And he was like beside himself. He had to return to the States and fight it out in court with his former partner who they thought they were friends and everything. And, um, he was panicking, so he called Rav Gamliel Rabinovich Shlita in a panic, and he asked him, Rabbi, I, I, I'm, I'm falling apart. I'm panicking. Please give me some chizik. So as Rabbi says, remember something. Shivisi Hashem lenegdi summit. I place Hashem before me always. That's the literal translation, but the word lenegdi could mean opposite me, just like Azer Kenegdo, a woman opposite him. It means I place Hashem even when he's opposite me, He's with me. Tummy. He's with me always, even when he seems to be opposing me. And he said, but Rebbe, why? Why is this going on with me? And he says, Lama? Why in Hebrew? Lama Yamru Hagoyim. It's a Pasuk in Tehillim. The non-Jews, the people of the world ask, why is God doing this? A Jew is not supposed to ask why. A Jew just knows that when God does something opposing to, to this person, it's for a purpose. Of course, Abraham and Moshe Rabbeinu, when they beseeched God for their people, they realized that God has a, a purpose. Maybe the purpose is, though, for me to daven about it, you know. So they begged and pleaded with Hashem to save the Jewish people, or in this case, to save the people of Sodom. 
Now, this we should be fighting for. We should fight for a daven for everybody and for other people, not just ourselves. But interestingly enough, Avram Avinu did not daven for Lot, nor did he daven for the Akedah, that please don't take my Yitzhak. Didn't daven. He felt there was self-service, self-centeredness there. Now, we're not on that madrega. We should daven for ourselves. We should. Uh, but Avram Avinu felt, no, this is what God wants. I'm giving. But for others, Avram was there pleading, and Moshe Rabbeinu was there. The, uh, okay, so that's the idea of a milchama. You know, you have to know if your mission is pure. Like, you can't complain and be bitter to Hashem if the mission is not pure. But Cesar Shimshim Pincus, a milchama can be pure even for our, we, there is such a concept as having a war with prayer for an average person. What does that mean? By any other mitzvah, he says, there's no mention of milchama, of prayer, of, of war with prayer. Uh, there's other psukim I could bring down, many, many psukim with, uh, like how it's like uh, uh, shooting an arrow, a prayer. Why is it like a, a war? Why do we compare it to a war? We don't have any other mitzvah. You don't take Lulav and Esrug as like a, it's like a war or a shofar. Okay, shofar, they blew at the time of war. That's true. But if Shimshim Pincus says that there's no other mitzvah that mentions that's called Yudavan as a war, what does that mean? Because he says a war takes planning. You can't just bomb the whole place. You have to know where to put the bombs. You have to have strategy. You know, they could get you back if you don't have certain strategies that you're employing. It says, Tachin li bam takshivas necha. If you, if you, Plan your heart, how you're going to think and feel, then Hashem is going to listen. It says the war is so difficult, says the Bach, that in prayer, that it's such a difficult, it's a struggle of the heart. You're in, your whole heart is struggling now, whereas other mitzvahs, you're just taking a little of, okay, kavana, you have more mitzvah. You have bigger mitzvah when you do any mitzvah with kavana, with, with you know, thought. But tefillah, prayer is only kavana. Like, kavana is the main thing of prayer. You're supposed to think of the words. And you're supposed to think, for whom I'm standing, what am I saying? That's it. And it's hard enough. Those words, by the way, are written by great prophets, mostly. And those words are teaching us how to approach Hashem and how to think. Teaches us how to think. So many times when I say, tell him, I hear David and Malchus going through a certain struggle. And then I say, oh, yeah, I'm going through. I understand that struggle. But what he comes up with with the end of the capital, at the end of the chapter, what he says is much different than what I would say. Usually he gets closer to Hashem or he or he right away sees how it's a chesed of Hashem or whatever it is. It's a fight, though, to control your thoughts, the fighting in the brain. The primary fight, says Rashim Shimpinkas, is am I going to think, what am I making for supper tonight? Whereas I'm in the in the driver's seat, or am I thinking, Hashem, you're running my day. I can't have refuel without you. I can't have forgiveness without you. I can't have brains without you. I can't have anything without you. But what enters our mind during this prayer is like, who's in control? We see the battle. We really, his palel, we are judging ourselves. How much is Hashem controlling my prayer? How much am I controlling my life? And this is what we're struggling, the fight. And even, he says, we have to say, Hashem, Hashem, open my mouth and help me pray with Kavana. If we don't say that, he says, we need Hashem to help us. We can't even do it by ourselves in such a big war. And it's, it's, and the Briskarov says, um, I'm sparing you all the details because I have, I have still more that I want to cover. But the Briskarov says, I'm, I'm getting there, we're almost done 10 minutes maximum. Um, the Briskarov says that the only reason that there are powers of impurity in the world, you know, you must have heard of such a concept. I have, and now I have a new spin on it. 
you know, they say sometimes, let's say some people have Kabbalistic, they're Kabbalist, and they're really not pure people. Or Bilam was a person that could say, you know, blessings and curses, you know, and here he was a very impure person. Sometimes they say, like, there's koach, there's strength given to impurity to make a balance in the world. There should be an equal a balance of good and of evil, right? So God made it sometimes that impure people seem to have a lot of power. And there is such a thing of somebody, let's say, there could be witchcraft, could be some truth to it, and all these other, like, crazy methods of, like, knowing what's going on in your life. And the reason why they have some power, says the Briskorov, is purely for one reason, and that is for confusion. Confusion, because it looks like they've got something to them. It's a distraction. It makes us look like there's something to it. And okay, none of us are going and running to, you know, palm readers and astrologists and all these koachatuma people, but we have our own things in our life. He says, how many, he says, he gives the analogy, uh, Rishim Pincus, that um, a boy in yeshiva, if he davens extra long, he may mess out on some breakfast. Everybody's, the people that are at the breakfast table first are going to get all the stuff for breakfast. And the people that come later on because they were davening longer, they won't get such a good breakfast. Or sometimes, uh, you know, they'll miss out on the stock market or something if they, if they don't, uh, if, if, if they daven too long. It says, we go to a doctor because we want the doctor, there's a mitzvah, and you have to take care of your health. So we have a mitzvah, we have to see doctors, we have to take medicines, we have to do what we have to do. However, we're not supposed to believe in the doctors at all. We just have to do it to fulfill that thing. We're not supposed to feel that those doctors will, will help us. Sometimes people equate, oh, the more money you have, the better the doctor you can afford and the better the health service you can afford. That's not believing that God can do everything. I heard once from somebody years ago, a very, very wealthy person who told me that her father, who could afford everything, had the best everything, and he later became paralyzed, partially paralyzed, because the nurse turned him over wrongly. Uh, in a routine uh, turnover, you know, for bed sores or whatever it was, um, after some, some minor, more minor procedure. So it's <laughs> that can happen to the most wealthy person. It's all up to Hashem, and we have to remind us this. This is an election day today, so this is very appropriate. We have to daven that you know that the the the, the truth should win over falsehood, and that the Jews should be helped, whatever the outcome is of the election. And uh, God forbid there shouldn't be unrest. But at the same time, we have to know that God is in control. There's a story about Rav Yashuv, that he was, you know, being involved in a very important election in Israel years ago. And, you know, he was being consulted right and left. Major, major stuff for the Haredi community, for the Frum community, would be decided by this election. And um, then, you know, so nobody would, apparently it was whatever, close. They didn't know the results till the next morning. And the next morning, he was getting ready for davening, and somebody was about to tell Rebbe, you hear about the election? Rabbi Yashav stopped him. He had to daven. He didn't care. He worked his head off to make sure that the, you know, the firm people should get their voice. But he felt that the point is, I did mine. Hashem is in charge. I just have to do mine with tefillah. I have to do mine with ishtablos, with efforts. But we have to realize that um, that, that whole idea of prayer is to get rid of, of, of falsehood. We're telling ourselves Hashem runs the world. That's what we're trying to tell. It's really self-brainwashing to truths. We know the truth that really God runs the world, but it's hard to feel that way. It's really hard to feel that way in your everyday life. We don't feel that way. 
You know, people around me, I, I, I know somebody, you know, not of our faith that is freaking out from the situation in the world now. But we have to believe there's a God in heaven and he's running the show. He's running, the, he's, he's running everything that happens. And we can't lose our faith. We can't. And tefillah is our opportunity to recharge, to, be, to reconnect with the purpose by which we were created. You know, the whole purpose. And we have to try. Now, why did Avram Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu speak? Why, why did they speak profoundly, strongly? We don't, we're not supposed to scream at Hashem, why are you doing this? Moshe Rabbeinu, why did you do this, you know, to... Um, to the people, when you know, why are you going to destroy the people of a movie from your book? Moshe Rabbeinu spoke so strongly. Why? Because they felt this is the respect. Hashem's dignity is being reduced by having people punished, like the Jewish people. And in, 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 in Moshe Rabbeinu's case, he felt that the Jewish people being punished would reduce Hashem's honor, Kavit Shemayim, in the world. Avram Avinu felt this is reducing a, a he doesn't he can't stand to see these people suffer and not being given an extra chance because that shows the chesed of Hashem. They felt they're praying for Hashem's respect, and in both cases, once they were told not to pray anymore, Avram Avinu was told, "No, that's it. I'm destroying Sodom." Never again did he mention it, and he returned to his place. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was told, "Don't," he wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael, and he was told, "You can't go anymore." He davened 515 times to go. Hashem says, don't ask me again. And even though the le- next time he would be answered, he stopped davening to go to Eretz Yisrael. And you think he wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael to eat, you know, Jaffa oranges? He wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael because he wanted to do more God's will. More God's will by going to Eretz Yisrael. So all these people were da- davening harshly, really, because of Hashem's honor. That's really why they davened harshly. Now, we are not on that level. We can't daven harshly like that. But the milchama of fighting our thoughts, that is a daily battle. And it's a difficult battle to, to, to see who's in control of our brain. Interestingly enough, Moshe Rabbeinu, the one time he was take, censured for his davening, when he, they were in Egypt, the Jews were enslaved in Gullus, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Why did you hurt these people and why did you send me? In other words, he, they felt at this point there was somehow, we can't even detect it because Moshe Rabbeinu was so great, but Apparently, um, he was taken to task. Hashem says you're not going to be able to go to Eretz Yisrael for this. Why? Because somehow he was too he was caring more for the Jewish people than he was caring for Hashem. Now we can't even understand what this means because usually for us, caring about the Jewish people is caring for Hashem. We should daven for the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu, there was a slight lack of kavod shabayim there because he uh, he lamahari also why did you do evil like you know that, that he said it in such a strong way. Like he should have said, he should have still said it. He has to dive for the Jewish people. But apparently there was a little lack of Kavach Shemayim in the way he expressed himself. So because of that, you know, uh, because of that, he was that why he couldn't, that was one of the reasons why he couldn't go to Eretz Yisrael. Now, why is it that by having an established place, you become, it says when you, a person passes away from this world, not before, a person passes away from this curl, he gets an aspect of humility and chasidus and piety. Because first of all, the more a person wants to please Hashem through their tefillah, that they're making it the best place they can pray, and they're making it nice, and they're going there all the time, whether they feel like it or not, and they're conquering their, their thoughts and feelings and just trying to focus on only Hashem, the words that he's, and the whom he's speaking, um, that act in itself is making a person more selfless. You're thinking more about Hashem. Chesed, you're doing chesed with your creator. This is what, um, this is what Rav Shem Shem Pincus brings down. Now, the um, 
Rav, Rav Nevensal says, it sounds like you're so self-serving when you're praying for this, but Hashem really wants to give to the world. Whenever you pray to Hashem, what you're doing, it is bringing anava because you are realizing it's God that's giving it to me. I want, I want God's, God wants to do good. You have to think, we have to think that God wants to do good and we're enabling him. We're being his partner to enable this greatness to happen in the world. So someone asked Rav Nevensal, how can we daven for Olam Haba? Isn't Olam Haba very selfish? Like other things you could say, okay, I want to eat. I want to be able to, my parnasa should be easier in order to have more time to pray, in order to help more people, let's say. But Olam Haba, we daven for Olam Haba in benching, and we daven for it in Uval Etzion. How can we ask Hashem for Olam Haba? Because there's a Pusik says, of Nevin Salon to Hillam, Ma Rav Tufcha Sher Echa. How great is the goodness you wanted to spo- to, to, to want to give to the people that fear you. That means Olam Haba. God wants to give greatness. So we're allowing God to give greatness. We're allowing him to give. Even Olam Haba, we should think it is, I'm now giving a chance for Hashem to give. Even if we say that once a day, we're giving him an opportunity to give. That's what he wants from us. And when the whole sum total of life, and person puts so much into it doesn't just mean a place. It means you're making it an important part of your day. Then you're, you're, you're going back to to that place of Kedusha. You're making the Kedusha grow. You're, you're continuing on, a continuum of the Kedusha you made. You're, you're making God's chesed known to the world, and, and you're, you're, you're imparting yourself with humility that everything's from him. That's why, but that's why, says Rav Nevensal, that even though in practical halacha, Avraham left Hashem for his guests, we don't do so. Because when we're davening, in his case, it was before the Torah was given, and he, that was prophecy is like a reward. It's your feeling, you know, inspired and everything. But actual in actual practice, we grow more from davening than even guests. So, like a person, and, and also when you're doing one thing, you shouldn't stop it to do something else. You're in the middle of talking to Hashem, you can't leave it. And to, it's, it's a mitzvah. You're leaving one mitzvah. Now, but we have to. This is something a lifetime effort. So it's, in, it, it, it's the importance of, of, war, of war, the advantages. You should have, there should be some peace. If you do tshuva when you're davening, Hashem listens to you in the merit of your tshuva. You're injecting Hashem, allowing us to be the intermediary in our relationship. You're talking like a yichud room, this vacas, this closeness to Hashem. And it's an important part of my day. So that's, even for Sodom, it's important for us also that we necessarily maybe are not in the Madrid like Rasim Chazitzel, to feel so bad that some person didn't die without tshuva. But um, we should definitely dive in for other people in our tshvilos. There's a story I always love to tell about Rabbi Belsky, when he was a mere 16 years old. 16 years old, he was a camp counselor in, um, I believe, Camp Aguda in the 1940s, was very rustic and basic in those days. And the counselor, not only was the counselor, he had to be the waiter for his bunk and he had to do everything. So he one night served supper. It was after a long day of running around in the woods. And um, he served supper, and lo and behold, there was nothing left for him. He was 16 years old, a teenage boy. You know, <laughs> teenage boy is like a bottomless pit when it comes to feeding them, right? We all know that. So in any case, he, uh, he felt a little sorry for himself. He went behind the bunks, and he started to cry. And then he said to himself, this is Rabbi Velsky at 16, he says, how can I cry for myself when Hashem's face of Mikdash is destroyed? So then he told his Talmudim, whenever you cry, don't just cry for yourself. Think of crying for somebody else. If you're starting to cry already in Tefillah, cry for somebody else. Think of somebody else in your prayers. 
This is something we have to employ. There was another story about a similar story dovetails on it, that there was a girl that was childless and she was at a wedding and she, she had to go away from this. She couldn't take it. She started to cry because she saw everybody with their babies and she's feeling very sorry for herself. And an older lady from the Holocaust came up to her and she told her, listen, after what I went through, whenever you cry, that's a time of tefillah. Use it for other people too. Don't just use it for yourself. Cry for everybody else. That's why the whole Shvona Esrei is in plural, as we have to think of all other people. And something that's very important, Roshim uh, Shem uh, Pincus brings down that in this week's Parsha, it says, wait a minute, here it is. I'm almost done. It says, um, in this week's Parsha, when, when Avram was being told by Hashem that he's going to destroy Sodom, he did it in order that Avram should daven, right? Because he's told him, I should hide from Avram what I'm going to do. And the following verse, this is in chapter 18, verses 17 and 18. It says, And Avram will be a great God, a great leader, and everybody's going to be blessed by him uh, because of him in his, on his behalf. Now, so um, why are these two verses next to each other? So the Dubna Magid says a mashal, says an example. He says, imagine there's two people come to the tailor. One is a young man and one is an older man. The older man's looking hard and long and wide and going through the racks and trying to pick out what he's going to wear. This is the olden days when the tailor had his own racks. We didn't have to go through a store. And he, he finds finally a suit jacket that he likes. He takes it for himself. And the young person just goes to the racks quickly and just starts taking a bunch of suits and just grabs them all. And the older man says, why are you, what's the difference between the two of us? Why are you grabbing so much? So the young man says, you know, by you, you're already probably at the size you're going to be for the rest of your life. So this is a big decision. It's going to last you for years. He said, for me, I'm young. I'm going to get married. If it's not for me, it's for my children, not for this child, then it's for that child. I'll maybe get gain more weight. I'll maybe lose weight. There's a whole life ahead of me. I, I'm not losing by taking much more. The same thing he says is why Hashem told Avram that he's going to destroy Sodom. When we pray, even if the prayers don't go for ourselves, as Rav Shem Pincus, they're never wasted. They go to our children. They go to our grandchildren. How many people became Bali Chuva when their great-grandparent was davening? Their son was not from, and they daven for him. And then look, grandchildren, great-grandchildren came back. You know, it's feel is never lost. And if it doesn't help you, it can help a member of your family. You know, just I have an example that's kind of similar. We'll end up with a story, but it's not really about prayer, but it's about um how, like, you have merits. They're never wasted. It can always be gained some way or another. There's a story that I just heard recently from Elimelech Biederman Shlita. He brings down a story about a chassan and kala in Eretz Yisrael recently during the corona business. Um, at their wedding were arrested. The chassan, the kala, the mechutanim all arrested, fined, whatever. Not a long arrest, but a short one. Extremely traumatic for the whole family. In the middle of the wedding, they were taken away. You know, right after the chuppah, thank God, at least they got married officially, but it was very traumatic. Now, what happened was the, um, they, uh, they found out that there was, uh, there was a young man who lived nearby and he was in, the, on the market for shaduchim. And he, uh, this boy was like phenomenal boy, like the phone was ringing off the hook because, you know, he's in this, he had all these, checked all the boxes for the girls for today. In any case, but what happened was all of a sudden not getting any shidduchim, not getting any offers of, uh, of of matches for himself. What happened? He said, he confessed to his Rebbe. He said, Rebbe, um, I um, I called the police on this chassan and kala. 
He said, I, he was a, a very good boy. He said, in all this stress that I'm going under in this whole Corona situation, he said, I, I, I felt bad that they were doing this public thing and maybe some people weren't wearing masks and they weren't protecting themselves and there were people in public. And he said, I got all of, I, I, I got very, I felt I was at a right to be offended and I called the police on them and I feel like I did a terrible thing and I feel like that's why I'm being punished. So his Rebbe told him, you probably are. You have to ask forgiveness. And if you ask forgiveness, it'll it'll be good for you. So he says, okay. So he called up the father and the mother of the, both the Hassan and the Kala, and they were not happy to hear his voice. They were not happy when he explained to them his predicament. And after a while, they forgave him. So he says, okay. But then his Rebbe says, no, it's not enough. Now you have to ask the Hassan and the Kala. That's even a bigger offense. And uh, so they asked the Hassan. The Hassan says, I can't forgive him. I can't. And he spent several days. And finally, he forgave. And then they said, but now you have the biggest job to, to, to appease the Kala. The Kala is really something you have to appease. That's the hardest. You ruined her night. You ruined her day. You ruined her life. You know, wedding day for a Kala, it's a big deal. So they, um, so he, he calls up the Kala and he told her, I, I really, I, 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 please, I beg of you forgiveness. And she says, I can't forgive you. I can't. So she went to speak to some spiritual advisor of hers, and the spiritual advisor told her, you know what, when you forgive somebody, even if your merit won't be now, but the merit can be for later. If you don't get it now, you'll get it later. You can't lose out by forgiving another person. So this is a comparison story here to the tefillah. Just like you can't lose out by davening, you can't lose out by forgiving. What happened? She forgave him. I don't know what happened to the boy, but shortly afterwards, a few months later, the Hudson and Kala were traveling in a car, the car had a horrific accident, and the cars turned over seven times. The police, when they arrived at the scene, were positive that there would be no life in that car. Hassan Kalas slid out the window of the car sideways. I don't know how they did that. And there was not, they were not, not one hair on their head was affected. They stood up, brushed themselves off, and then they realized that the whole reason Hashem coordinated that whole thing to begin with at their wedding was in order for them to give forgiveness to somebody. And that was the merit thereby that they saved their own lives. Same thing with tefillah. We don't know. We are really, we are not losing out. We're benefiting our lives by davening, even when, especially davening for somebody else. Hashem will answer you first. Thank you for listening. I wish you all an amazing week. And same, thank you so much to Rivka Shabsa for her devotion, dedication, and organization. And thank you all for listening. Have a great week.